invite you to turn with me to the book of 2 Kings. Uh, we'll be spending most of our time in chapter 19, so you're welcome to turn there. Uh, we meditate this morning on scripture uh, with the story of uh, the siege of uh, Jerusalem. Before we get to that point, though, just to mention here Psalm 2 briefly. Psalm 2 asks the question, why do the nations rage against the Lord and against his anointed? Now, we see evil wage war on good in our day, and mockery of God is quite commonplace. It's true that the nations do rage against God, and yet Psalm 2 also ends this way. It says this, God who sits in the heavens scoffs, or he mocks. He has set his king on the throne, who has the nations as his heritage, and all who take refuge in him are blessed. Now, for our setting in, the, in Second Kings here, something like that requires a great faith, and for us today as well, it requires a resolute trust that though we may not see it, we trust that it is very true, that it is very real, that God is indeed on his throne. Our focus this morning is chapter 18 and 19 of Second Kings, and it's Judah's story now, the southern kingdom, and it's contrasted with chapter 17, which focused on the northern kingdom of Israel. Their brothers up north. And in both of these accounts, the question is begged here, in whom will you trust? Upon whom will you cast your faith, your fears, your failures in the hope of obtaining life? Well, what we have before us this morning are the life and actions of King Hezekiah in Judah. Though far from perfect, his life and his reign do light the way for what it is to be a humble person following hard after God, the God who hears and the God who delivers his people. To that end, uh, will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, which is living and active. And as we come to your word now, we pray you would soften our hearts. Would you open our eyes to behold Christ more clearly and, and open our ears to hear that which you have for us, that we might respond in faith, trusting you with all of our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 2 Kings 18 and 19, we have the, the camera lens of 2 Kings. Uh, it, it pans. It's been focused on the northern kingdom for a while here, those 10 tribes uh, up north. Uh, but now it, it's seen that we've seen that the, those tribes have been conquered by Assyria, and now the people are exiled. The, the camera then pans down to the south for us to focus on, on Jerusalem in particular and Judah as a whole. Um, and just to set the context for us, what's happening is the people in Jerusalem and Judah have, have seen their brethren up north defeated, have seen the, the countryside ravished and the people taken from their homes and land. And this is for the next 10 years now. 10 years have passed since those moments there. And, and now they've continued to see Assyria destroy the people all around them. Nations continue to fall. And now in Jerusalem, Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Assyrian soldiers have surrounded the fortified city. Your life is in that city, reduced to those walls. Food is running short. Uh, water is scarce. But we have a protagonist in the story here, King Hezekiah. He's son and heir to the throne of David, but the throne has been corrupted. It's oozing with corruption after his father, King Ahaz, reigned a wicked reign. Hezekiah is a reformer, 
a renewer, a redeemer. His reign is described this way. Here's how the Bible talks about him. It says that, that Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He removed the high places. This is not a common habit for the kings of Israel or Judah. He destroyed idols. He crushed even the, the bronze serpent of Moses' day, which was now being worshipped in the temple. Hezekiah enters the scene as an Adam, as an Adamic king, who is the crusher of the serpent's head. He enters the scene as David's righteous offspring, a man after God's own heart, a people and place in which he reigns in justice and right worship. Well, these, they begin to flourish. Hezekiah's reign is summed up this way, simply this. He held fast the Lord. He held fast to the Lord. And yet, in all of his reforms, and in, in, in correcting that which was, was, was wrong, and that in cleansing of the temple and, and renewing of the Passover, yet, in all of this, your walled city is surrounded by thousands and thousands of enemies upon whom no man, no army, no God has won. Chapter 19, verse 1 and 2. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself in sackcloth, went into the house of the Lord, and he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shevna, the secretary and the senior priest, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. Yahweh, his, or Hezekiah, his name means Yahweh gives strength. The king is named Yahweh gives strength. Why is there such pained sorrow in this king's voice? What did the king hear that leads him to this point? Well, at this time, again, the world power or empire was Assyria. They had been up north, and they destroyed Syria. Then they destroyed uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. That same force continues to ravish the Middle East, going down to the west coast, uh, and the Philistines, the north, south, and west of Judah are all being ravished. Now, Hezekiah's father was Ahaz. And he was under attack during his reign from Israel and Syria. But so, so what Ahaz did was he allied himself and Judah with Assyria. They became pals, and Assyria delivered Judah. But Hezekiah, when he takes office, he says, no, we're not going to pay tribute to this foreign people. Sennacherib is Assyria's mighty king, and he is on campaign. He's leading assaults, not in Jerusalem, but in the region, west and southwest of Jerusalem. So what he does instead of Sennacherib going, he sends his spokespersons to Jerusalem and to King Hezekiah. The main voice of Sennacherib is the chief officer or cupbearer by the title of the Rab Shaka. He promises, this voice of Sennacherib, promises Israel defeat. And as Hezekiah and the people on the walls hear the, this Rab Shaka, they have known and hear that no one has defeated Sennacherib. And in this almost despair, Hezekiah dies to himself. He humbles himself, puts on sackcloth, ashes. He's going for a symbolic death in search of resurrection life. Where would we turn in his shoes? Where do we turn near despair? Hezekiah turns to God's prophet. None other than the famous Isaiah. The king's men implore Isaiah for his prayers to Yahweh, that God would defend his name, his honor. Isaiah hears their pleas, and God hears as well, and both God and Isaiah respond 
chapter 19, verse 6. Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The king turns to God's word, who is God's prophet, and the prophet gives God's word, which is judgment against God's enemies. See, we've spent a lot of time on Elisha and Elijah, right? They've been quiet for a while. The school of the prophets have been quiet for quite a while. We don't hear anything from the prophets. And yet here, Judah's king, what does he do? He turns to a prophet. He turns to Isaiah. He turns to God, who hears our prayer. Deliverance is promised. Isaiah says, this is what God says, God's going to give a spirit who will deceive Sennacherib. The voice of God needs no prophet to deliver that message. King Sennacherib, not King Hezekiah, will then be slain by the sword. But what is it that brings this wrath of God against Assyria? Because God was the one who raised up Assyria. He even sent Jonah to go and, and, and plead with the people of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, to repent so they might live. God has raised up this enemy to thwart the plans of his forsaken people, Israel. What is it that the Reb Shekha had spoken on the city walls of Jerusalem? And then he writes in letter form, what is it that brings about the ire and the wrath of God so plainly and so ferociously? The letter is recorded. Verse 10 of our passage is what was spoken and then written down. Verse 10, thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by, the pro by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed? So this is, the, this is what's written. So what's happened is Sennacherib, the king, is, is reigning, you know, dozens of miles away from Jerusalem. The Reb Shekha has delivered the message with his voice, and he goes back to report to the king. The king is happy with that word. And now what, Sennac what Sennacherib does then is he has his voice then send a letter. So he sends a letter that was just read for you to the king of Judah, Hezekiah. What was written in the letter? Basically, in short, it said this. Don't trust in Yahweh. He can't protect you. He's only deceiving you. Your God is deceiving you. Besides, your king is too weak to protect you and provide for you. Despair of your prospects because no king or kingdom has withstood the wrath of Assyria, nor have any gods defeated our Gods. He is charging God with impotence and with deceit. Them's fighting words. Where do we turn when all seems lost, when circumstances don't fit our expectations, when despair creeps in? Who will hear our cry? Who will turn to act on our behalf? Israel, throughout their generations, has been warned of their folly, their waywardness, time, and again, time and again, and yet they continue to turn from God's prophets. They stuffed their fingers in their ears. They rejected God's word and his way. They refused repentance and faith in Yahweh. The northern kingdom trusted in riches, in horses and chariots, in other nations to deliver them, yet failed to trust in the God who delivered them already from Egyptian bondage. 
That's the story up north. And as we come to this passage, how will Judah respond? How will Judah and King Hezekiah respond to this letter of destruction? Verse 14 of 19, chapter 19. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord, spread it before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. In his father's reign, his father had adulterated about every fabric or fiber of temple worship. The the doors were closed. No access given to God. The first acts of King Hezekiah are to open the temple wide. And we see that continue on here. As he takes this letter of blasphemy into the temple, and he opens it up before the Lord, and he pleads with the one who is enthroned upon high, saying, Oh God, do not let them mock you. Well, this is a new strategy for God's king, isn't it? I haven't seen this for quite some time. But perhaps this is just a foxhole conversion. This is just prayer winged forth in the face of death while the heart remains distant. But everything we see and read about Hezekiah leads us to believe that this is is the earnest prayer of a righteous man, which availeth much. The king literally lays his burden before the Lord, and he invites God to act for his honor and his glory, the glory due his name to act in justice, to squelch the mocking of his enemy. There's firm resolve that God can both hear and see the wickedness of enemies and his people's desperate plight. The imagery is good for us here because it's a simple form of prayer, isn't it? To simply enter into God's presence and to lay before him our burdens And then to invite his presence and and his activity into our lives, into our circumstances. And the basis for this trust from King Hezekiah, as it is for us, is there's a lot of of reason for it. He says, you are enthroned above the cherubim. We think of the the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, and the the, the mercy seat where God would descend in his glory cloud. He's enthroned above the cherubim, the, the king who is above all and seated on his throne. He prays to this God because he says, you are a powerful creator. You are the mighty one, able to preserve, to protect, to provide. And you are the God who hears our prayer, who sees our plight, who moves to act on our behalf. You are not an idol, but, nor a God far removed from our presence, but you are a God amongst us, with us, a God for us. Now defend your name, and in that defend your people. Verse 17, the prayer continues. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations of their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. That your name alone would be known. He invites God to act that his name would be made much of in the midst of his people as throughout the whole world. Hezekiah's posture is proper for prayer, isn't it? A man who is seeking to lead a people who are in desperate need of deliverance, acknowledging his own smallness, his own weakness, 
his own inability to save, Hezekiah calls upon God and prays simply, save us please from the hand of our enemies. Now we know this prayer, whatever form it takes in our lives, it's not always answered by miraculous deliverance or in the way that we might hope. God's hearing and seeing does not give us that kind of assurance. And yet we are invited here by example, other ways by command. We're invited to bow still before God's throne, to plead God's salvation, to hope in his grace, his mercy, his justice. And we trust that whatever the outcome, that he is still on the throne, that he holds us in his mighty hand, and that we belong ever to him. For Israel and Judah, their kings were judged according to the way in which they treated the prophets. And that's the same for all of humanity, isn't it? All of humanity is and will be judged on the basis of how they treat God's true and final prophet. Hezekiah is proved righteous because he searches out God's prophet. Isaiah, who speaks not only his own word, but he speaks God's word of deliverance and comfort. So verse 20 of our passage, Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word of the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. God is speaking through his counselor prophet. He begins pronouncing judgment upon Sennacherib for, and vindication for Judah. Verse 25, if we skip down a bit. Isaiah continues, have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it has grown. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. Because you have raged against me, and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose, my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. Sennacherib's voice, that, that Rabshakeh, he's leveled accusation upon accusation against Judah, her king, and her God, saying in effect that no people, no king, and certainly no God has withstood Assyrian might. And, and, and what does Hezekiah respond? Well, he goes to Isaiah. He goes to the temple. And how does God respond? Don't you know, Sennacherib, that I, I, the living God, ordained all that you've done? I've ordained all of that to pass. Who are you but my vessel of wrath against those who reject and rebel against me? And now, Sennacherib, your sword will devour you, and I will put an end to your kingdom. Assyrian pride has gone too far, inciting God's wrath. And back on the wall of Jerusalem, it would still be really hard to trust, wouldn't it? 
to trust God when life seems so frail and evil so desperately close? What would we do if we were in Hezekiah's shoes? I mean, no nation can save us at this point. Our prosperous country is being dismantled and ravished. There's no way in or out. Where would we turn? Hezekiah implores God and asks Isaiah to pray to God that he might hear the taunts of his enemies and act. And God does act. Verse 35, that night, the angel of the Lord went out, struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed, went home, lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, uh, his god, Adramelech and Sherezar, his sons, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Our God will not be mocked. He sits enthroned above the nations and kings who scoff and mock their blasphemies, their vain attempts to dethrone him. Now, when you come to these passages, like my imagination is too stunted to imagine this kind of bloodshed overnight by the angel of death. This is a Passover event of such massive proportions. Overnight, the angel of death strikes down the population of Lincoln, Nebraska. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Sennacherib is humbled to the point of death. He is slain by his own son. As Psalm 2 ends, so for the nations we sing. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. These stories just seem so far removed from who we are in our circumstances today, but we have to remember that these stories are our story too. These are not reserved only for you know, those who inherit the land and the people of, of Israel and Judah of those times. These are our ancestors, the ancestors of our faith. God, God's miraculous deliverance from Assyrian oppression ought to shape our understanding of salvation and life in his kingdom. Like them, violence is not foreign to life in a fallen world. Then or now, empires rise, empires fall, death from war and disease rage on in every generation throughout the whole world. Yet this story that we have before us this morning, it, it forms in us a firm grip on this truth that God is sovereign over all things throughout all of history. God is mighty. God is sovereign over all things throughout all of history. As God said to Sennacherib, have you not heard that I determined it long ago? This is the refrain that brings us comfort in affliction, that God has determined it from long ago. Resolve amidst failure. Resilience amidst pressure to give up or to give in. In fear and in awe, we entrust that the wicked will be condemned, that our enemies will be destroyed. For God's refrain rings true then as it does today, where he says, I will put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back. Now it's true. The lion still prowls, looking for someone to devour. The serpent will still strike. Death remains insatiably hungry. Sorrow, suffering, and death will mark the life of holiness in following Jesus Christ. Yet we must trust that God remains on his throne, ever true to his promises. So he says, I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David, 
for the name of his glory and for the sake of his son, David. Now, that promise given to David and to his offspring, we know, finds its fulfillment in the true and lasting son of David. Now, Hezekiah was a David, wasn't he? But we have one who comes after Hezekiah, the true and lasting son of David, who is Jesus Christ, who, like Hezekiah, came to renew temple worship, who came giving his spirit to form and inspire his body as a living temple to be given for the life of the world. Like Hezekiah, Jesus was sent, and Jesus came to restore God's kingdom on this earth where he honors good work, builds walls of defense against enemies. His reputation extends to the nations who will bring him honor and praise. There's a theme throughout our passage, and that it's that of, of hearing. If you read the passage again, hear and hearing happens a lot here. Hezekiah heard the threats of evil And so in Christ, we hear and acknowledge evils in the fallen world, waywardness in our own hearts. We turn then in that hearing to God's prophet who hears us, who hears from us on our behalf. See, Isaiah was also God's prophet, but Isaiah has died. But we come to a prophet who has passed through death and lives now to intercede on our behalf. The prophet we come to is now seated at God's right hand, and it says in Scripture that he lives to intercede. Oh, we are feeble and frail against the powers and principalities of the world. For the war we wage is not against flesh and blood. So we come in full confidence to the God who hears our prayers, who hears the mocking, the raging cries of evil, who hears the pleas of his precious son, who pleads on our behalf. And the Father hears. And he responds because he says, this is my beloved son, my most precious servant. As we pray, though the enemy rages and death threatens to undo, preserve us, Father. Deliver us in your grace and in your mercy. And our Father delights to hear the Son who hears our prayers, empowered by his Spirit. The word today is this, your God hears your prayers. The Spirit speaks words we cannot even utter, and the Son gives himself that we might find rest in his deliverance now and forevermore. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you do hear us when we call upon you. We entrust our lives to you, O Lord, in the power of your grace, your mercy, and your love. Would you see to it, O Lord, that we remain a faithful people, holding fast ever to your word, to your commands, And above all, to your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.